you know, I play a women's minority sport, so and I mean minority in the sense of it's what like our fifth sport in this country in regards to media, even maybe less than that. So it just doesn't get coverage, it doesn't get the respect. And so then if you add on being a female into that, you're even further down the line. Welcome to the Athlete EQ Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Sarsi, and today I'm speaking with Hannah Shaw, Center for Team GB and current Commonwealth Games silver medalist. In this episode, Hannah and I discuss the struggle of playing a women's minority sport in the UK and how more needs to be done to support the mental health of athletes at all stages of their careers. Hannah speaks to the impact of living and playing abroad and what goals she set for herself going forward. Thank you very much for joining me today. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your life as a basketball player. I'm really happy to be here, so quite looking forward to it. Great. I always start with the same question because you know you're in England, I'm in England, even though I'm not, I'm not, I'm American. And but basketball is not a big sport here. It's just not. You got the big three. Basketball's not in it. Yeah. How did you become a basketball player? Is it just because you're tall, or? Well, my brother is quite a few years older than me, and he was play. He's also really tall, so he didn't start playing basketball until he was sixteen. We had a good PE teacher here who was interested in basketball. And so I managed to push my brother to go and play for a local league team. And of course, I got dragged to go and watch them one night and was sat with my dad. And the coach came over and said, we have a girls team and your daughter's really tall. Does she want to come and join? And I don't think I was given the option to say no, really. But oh, <laughs> like you really will play. That I did. So that, that's just it. But it's definitely not. I always want to say it's getting better or it's getting bigger. But I find myself repeating that every year. I'm not entirely sure if it is. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's just one of those. Did you find it, and this is a common a question about combination of like playing a sport that was probably not something that everybody played, but also being incredibly, did you find that that kind of set you apart, made you different? Yeah, definitely. I uh, just think anyone, when they'll say, what are you doing tonight? I'd be like, well, I've got basketball practice. Oh my God, basketball. I didn't know, don't you mean netball? I didn't know girls play basketball. I didn't know we had basketball here. And you just find yourself repeating the same answers to these really, really stupid questions <laughs> consistently. Yeah. And I still have family members that are like, oh, how's netball? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't play that sport. <laughs> so it, it's, I don't know. It depends on how good of my mood, mood I'm in that day as to how my answer will be to most of those questions. Yeah. And you would think that that would get easier as you played it longer, but does it? Um, I think I'm probably a bit more tolerant now of people. I, I don't know, actually. I swing from either being really tolerant with people about it or really intolerant about it. I, I don't really like football, but because it's in the news and because like my, my dad likes football and my brother likes football, I feel like I'm quite aware of a lot of what's going on within football media and because obviously it is everywhere whereas then someone will say to me oh my god have you seen that documentary I don't know if you've heard about that Michael Jordan documentary I'm like are you serious like that one thing that was absolutely huge this year that went across all media channels everywhere yeah of course I've heard of it of course course I've I've heard of it and yes I've seen it (laughs) (laughs) my gosh yeah it's like the lack of familiarity in basketball is one layer to the, let's call it a metaphorical cake. Mm-hmm. The second layer is the fact that you're a woman and you play women's basketball. Yeah, definitely. I always get asked by people, oh, do you make enough money to live on? I'm like, yeah, like I do, but not like well. And 
you know, I play a women's minority sport. So, and I mean minority in the sense of it's what, like our fifth sport in this country in regards to media, even maybe less than that. Yeah. So it's, it just doesn't get coverage. It doesn't get the respect. And so then if you add on being a female into that, you're even yeah. further yeah. down the line. Yeah. There's always that kind of aspect to it. You play a you play a sport that's not hugely popular, and then you play as a woman. You play in the I don't want to call it like the female version, like it's a different sport, but you know what I mean. You know, it's it's, it's that's the way it is. It's kind of and you see it across all the sports. Is that traditionally the men's sport is way more popular than the women's team or the women's the women's game. Yeah. I would say that's true across club, you know, or the the team you play professionally for. Is it different when you play for England or Team GB? I would say yes and no. Mm, how so? I know that the our GB women's team, we've done pretty well. Mm. So I know would argue that maybe in the last few years, I don't want to upset anybody, but without say it, say it. <laughs> perform for men, and we have like accomplished a higher, we've accomplished more things, and so. I do think that we do get quite a lot of respect and support there. But also then when you see how many spectators you get coming to the games, how much interaction, how much media coverage. I know we got some when we were in Serbia earlier in the year, but I think had we been the men's team, it would have been everywhere. The men's team were trying to qualify for the Olympics. That would have been on lots of more, lots more major news channels. It would have been covered more. There would have been a lot more press. But I think because we were female, it was further down. Mm. But that being said, we get a lot of support from within like the British basketball community. And like it, it is very nice to have that. Yeah. You get a lot of traveling fans or fans that come and watch? No, we get a couple of really, really committed traveling fans. And then quite a lot of people's families come. But we don't get big groups mm. like of traveling fans. Yeah. I watched an interview with you. You were talking about how, and this leads back to your comment earlier about how women's sports, you know, they don't get like, there's this question about, do they make enough money to make a living or do they need a, you know, you know, do they need a, another job to support themselves? That kind of stuff. Do you find that side support, like things you have to do in order to make ends meet, that kind of thing. Are they supportive if you were to like go to your boss and say, I am going to go play for GB. I need the time off. Are they supportive or no? Well, the last, and I'm going to use air quotes, the last real job I had that wasn't sport, I worked for British Wheelchair Basketball. So I still worked within sport. It was office-based and I worked for a really, really understanding company because yeah. they knew. But my first day, the, the people that I met were like, oh, we know you've got this window coming up so we can work around that. We'll get this covered. And that was my first day and they already knew that. And so that was great. Whereas I have had another job in the past where um, event, like I got called up really late to the GB team and I had to go in and explain to them, oh, I need to be away from next week. And they were like, oh, you know, this is against employment law and blah, blah. And I said, and I was really unhappy in this job. And I'm going to show my privilege here. But I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to leave anyway then. So I did. And ha. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't really recommend that to other people. But like that really worked out for me. And I'm very happy that I took that opportunity. But I don't think other people have as an easier time of it as that. Yeah. What about some of your teammates? Have you heard, you know, have you had? I know some of my teammates have have to take like annual leave and really bunch it up. But um, which I know is difficult. Especially if you then 
because it's not like you're leaving for a holiday. So then when you get to another time of the year and you actually, you know, you probably do need to take a bit of a vacation, you don't really have that leave left. So I know that is very difficult for for a lot of people. Yeah, it's like, it's like I'm taking annual leave. Oh, enjoy your holidays. Like, are you kidding me? I'm working harder on my holiday than I am when I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Talk me through how you prepare both before camp, during camp, and during, let's say, tournament time, qualification Mm -hmm. time. How do you prepare yourself for that? Well, I am a worrier. Mm-hmm. Like I'll go through serious like periods of being really nervous and really worrying about stuff. And then I'll swing like a complete 180 and be like, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I feel like I have to really manage myself in, to try and stay somewhere in the middle of those because it really is quite an aggressive flip when that happens. Yeah. So before I go to camp, I, I know for my national team, I'm at the end of the bench. I know what I can provide is valuable and what I do provide is valuable, but I do know that in regards to playing time, there are other players that are better than me. And so if I can be the best teammate, I can be from the end of the bench, in practice, whatever, then that's then that's my role. Obviously, I want to play and I want to take my opportunities and I will always try to do that. But I know I know normally going into camp that my role might be different to that of the starting centre, which obviously it is. So I just try to manage myself in saying that, like, go in and try and do everything that you know you can do and try and make sure that you help everybody else get better as well. So so I really try to think about like what positive impacts I can have, whether it's like a little one. I know I'm not going to come in and score 30 points in a game, but like if I can come in and get two or I can get four, or if I can make sure in practice I make it difficult for someone who's going to have to go and compete harder, then that's something that I have to like think about really, because otherwise I would just get really sad that I wasn't playing like I've been to tournaments where I've where I've not played and I've sat on the end of the bench and it, and if all you think about in your head is oh I'm not good enough I shouldn't be here then it's a really really long 10 days and then you'll come back and I know as a junior I did the same I didn't have a very good tournament for whatever reason I just didn't and I came back and I was like I don't even want to play basketball anymore I'm done and so for the next like three four weeks just wasn't bothered and didn't want to do anything about it so I do try to really talk myself into knowing what little things I can do just to make sure that I keep moving in like positive directions. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're still going to have some time where you're like, oh, screw this. Like, I don't, you know, I hate this. But it's just about getting over that and going and doing the next thing. Any specific, I don't want to call them tricks or tools, but any specific things that you do to move past that, oh, screw this. I don't want to do this anymore. Two things, I guess one of them, is I try to be really mindful of the language that I use to myself. Good. Like I really try, like even mostly in my regular daytime stuff, like if I know that I'm feeling a bit overweight, I'll be like, oh God, honey, you look so fat. And then I'll think, no, don't look fat. That's not the right word. Don't use it. And I'll mentally tell myself off. And I know that sounds quite bizarre, but I think the language that you use to yourself is really important. Yeah. And then also another big thing is if I'm having a bad time at practice or if I don't want to be there or anything like that, fake it till you make it and I always think it really helps if you are like the loud person you're clapping and you're being smiley and you're trying to make sure that everyone is enjoying obviously working hard and working with purpose but if you try to even if you're not enjoying yourself if you fake it that you are you probably will at the end you'll come out and you'll feel better whereas if you just let that bad mood like suck you in completely yeah you're gonna feel worse in two hours whereas if you fake Whereas if you try and fake like you're having a good time, mm-hmm. at the end of the two hours, maybe you did have a little bit of a good time. 
what you're speaking to in, in my world is what we call embodiment. So mm-hmm. if you are in, and there's scientific evidence to back this up, I'm not blowing smoke here. If you are feeling in a bad mood, or if you're feeling something, but then you change your physical body position mm-hmm. to something that makes you physically feel the way, you know, let's say you do a bunch of jumping jacks or you do, you know, you stand up or you have a really good laugh and you, you really get into it. That actually has a physical effect on your mood. You can use the position of your body to change how you, to change how you feel. And that fake it till you make it is kind of based on that phenomenon. It's like, you know, put a smile on your face and, you know, that kind of thing. Even if, you know, it sounds like fake it till you make it. It's like, eh, yeah, yes. And mm-hmm. lean into the, like, how do, how do I stand or how do I behave when I'm in a good mood or when I'm enjoying this? Mm-hmm. And then your body slowly over, t- you know, over a few minutes, an hour starts to feel, starts to feel it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That, uh, that really, really helps. And I totally agree about the language. Words matter. <laughs> I think it's only really been in the last few years that I've really started to think maybe you need to be a bit nicer to yourself so that you're not still in this position later on. Yeah. And was there something that kind of clicked that said, hey, stop talking to yourself about this? Or is it, did like, I'm looking for like, is there, was there a resource that gave you that or did you discover that on your own? No, I think really I discovered that by myself. I think I was just so negative and it annoyed me so much that I was like that, that I was just sort of like, well, you need to do something about it then. Yeah, I think I just annoyed myself so much that I was like, mm-hmm. well, I need to do a different different thing now. Yeah, what's that saying? Insanity, in, uh, the definition of insanity mm-hmm. is doing the same thing over and over, mm-hmm. expecting a different result. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So I want to I want to jump to something because you know you grew up you grew up in the UK mm-hmm. and did you go to and you went to the United States for university you went to the University of Miami yeah did you do any prep school before that or did you just went out jump right school. in yeah I went straight out of high school here uh, I'd been playing basketball in the the top flight women's league for two years at least so I've been playing with women so being held more accountable than if I'd played like U18 or anything like that. Yeah. But then I did go to the States and I, I didn't really want to be at university. And I've always really struggled that with that throughout my life because I don't think, I always think of the stigma that, you know, if you're smart, you need to go to university. Well, actually, I really hated it. and I really hated a lot of education, mm. but I wouldn't consider myself not smart. And so I really struggled being oh, so far away from home um, in a complete, I know Americans, we all speak English. But it's so different, the culture shock from being here. Welcome to my world. I know, it, it's just, uh, it's really difficult. And then because I was so far away, I just felt really lonely. Yeah. And so I really struggled, really, really struggled with that. What about on the basketball front? Did you find the, because the people I've spoken to who've come from the UK and, you know, dropped into the, especially dropped in at university level without doing any prep work, they hit the university level at a basketball in the United States and go like the, the level of competitiveness is really intense. Did you find that? Did you have that experience? Found it was basketball was hard. I feel like I was capable, but I did find it really hard and I found it so tiring because I was like, I was always a relatively heavier person. 
like I wasn't quick and so I would have to get up and do all the extra conditioning all my, all my extra workouts and things and then go to practice and I just feel like I didn't adapt to that and so I was always always tired and so that made all of my emotions even worse and so I was feeling sad in general and then I'd feel tired in practice and then I'd just I don't know feel like kind of my whole body would just give up so I really really struggled with that like the competitiveness it was hard but it was fun and I feel like I'd I really enjoyed the basketball there. I definitely got better as a player and it was an ex- a crazy experience. I mean, I went to a really big time school. So some of our flights, like we went on some chartered flights, like we got a lot of gear. Like I know a lot of other people have been and not had experiences like that. But what my overriding like thought when I think back to it is just about how lonely and like sad I was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's not truthfully that I don't think that's uncommon of anybody that goes away to university that, you know, you get that moment of like, I'm so far away from home kind of feeling. Yeah. And then when the so far away from home is also I'm in a foreign country, it doesn't matter that we quote, quote, speak the same language, you know, it it can it, it can intensify that. Mm-hmm. What about when you turned pro and I mean, you've played in, you know, several countries around, around Europe, you know, most recently Italy before, you know, before COVID. What about that situation? I'm, I didn't really turn pro until I was a bit older. So I came home after university and played in the UK for a few years. And then I went to, and then I turned pro in England. And that, I feel like that was, you know, relatively an easy transition for me because like I knew what I was doing and I had end goals for things I wanted to do so I could block up all my time and never feel like I wasn't busy or I wasn't working to something. But then when you leave and go to another country, you still have all those end time goals and you still have, you know, desire and the drive, but it's a lot of things that you can't, I felt like with my, the club that I went to in Spain, I had like, I didn't have a bad year. It was enjoyable. Would I do it again? Probably not. Or so would I go and redo that experience? Probably not. But also it, it wasn't bad. It was just, it, it just happened. Um, we used to practice super late at night. So it'd be nine o'clock in the evening until 11 o'clock at night. And what? then I know. Why? <laughs> My team were like um, proper adults and had jobs. And my coach also, and generally Spanish people stay up a lot later than Well, yeah, that, that, I, that I knew, but I was just like, I didn't know. I figured they were, you know, dinner and social life at that point, not yeah, practicing so, their sport. So a few times in the week, we'd have sessions in the morning and then we'd wait and we'd have sessions like late at night. And I found it was just a lot of hanging around. I don't really like to sleep during the day anyway. I find, don't always find it makes me more productive. But I just think when you have that much of a big chunk of time, and then you're going to bed so late, then you, it's difficult to get into get yourself into like a what I would think is like a positive like routine. Yeah, um, I got much better at it, I think, but it was quite a struggle. Um, just getting used, just generally getting used to being up that late, to be honest, or being having to be productive at that time. But I I quite enjoyed the experience of being in a different country by my, I say by myself, but like it is by yourself. Yeah. I like to take myself out for coffee like most days. That's my treat. I go and do that. I go and sit and read somewhere or call home or send email. Just general life admin things that you need to do. But I like to go and do them outside of my house so that I'm not stuck in the same in the same place. And also walking. If I couldn't go out and walk everywhere that I needed to, I think I would have gone crazy by now. Mm. But yeah, that's that year was... I would say it was interesting, but it actually, I don't really think it was. 
Mm. Everybody always says, oh, it's so exciting you play abroad. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is, but it also yeah. isn't. I think it's one of the things, um, I didn't move straight to the UK from the United States. I was in France and Germany and etc. I think people when, you know, it sounds really exciting in theory when you move to a new country for work. Yeah. Everyone's like, wow, that sounds so adventurous. And they completely forget about the emotional load mm-hmm. that's added on top of your professional yeah. responsibilities. And it doesn't matter whether your responsibilities are physical, let's play a sport or, you know, move to a new country to work in a business at a job or what, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's a, an emotional load of relocating to a whole new country mm-hmm. that's added it that a lot of people, unless they've done it, they don't get it. They don't yeah. experience it. So to, ha- to add that on top of the responsibilities of being a pro athlete, mm-hmm. what, was the, what was the impact of that um, on you mentally? I feel like I've always like, accepted that I'm going to miss things, family events, birthdays, like weddings, parties. I've always accepted that because I've had to do it for such a long time. But just like when you go away to a different country, there's no chance of you coming back for anything. And there was one time where we had two days off in a row and it coincided with the BBC Spotty, so like Sports Personality of the Year Awards, Hmm. and I'd been invited. And I was like, this is incredible. And I asked my coach, do you mind if these two days that we have off, do you mind if I fly home and go to this thing and I'll be back in time? And he said, yes, it's no problem. And I booked all my flights and I was really looking forward to it. And then I was told the next day, oh no, we've actually put this game on this day. And I was like, "Um, okay. Like, I realise this is my job, but we've already cleared this. And that that alone made me really upset for at least three weeks. Mm. Like, I had really set myself, I was like, oh, this is really exciting. This is something to look forward to. Two days off, this is great. And then my job then got back in the way. And I feel like things like that, really, I really have to, you really have to think about them and try and really try and reason in your head as to why you feel that way. And I think it's because I like being away, but I also like knowing that I can pop home or I can go and see people and I won't completely miss out on everything. And so that really, really frustrated me. But, mm. but then I kind of got over it. it it's just one of the, another thing that you will miss. And maybe, maybe it wasn't as good as what I thought it would be. So it wasn't so bad. But yeah, yeah things like that, I really have to try and reason with myself as to why I feel a certain way about it. Yeah there's there's always an element of missing out when i was when i was writing professionally yeah i was wasn't home for christmas for years and yeah. it was just like call on christmas day you know call on christmas but that was it and you know there there's an impact that that's a cost and it's a question you kind of have to look and go this is the cost this is the price i'm paying to and you know quote quote cheesy as it is live my dream yeah is it have you found so far that it's been a price worth paying Yes and no. Hmm. How so? Like I've had some really great experiences, I think, with playing basketball and especially playing abroad and traveling and seeing places. But also there's been some really mundane, just additional nonsense that I feel like I've had to deal with. I'm trying to think of, I don't want to make this pandemic centered, but the bit that I had to deal with it before COVID was my entire league shut down for a week. Yeah. And so 
I said, oh, the, the, everything is still open. All the airports are still open. I'm, I'm going to fly home for a week. If you've told me I cannot practice and we cannot play games, I'm going to go home. And the president made a big song and dance and said, oh, if you go home, you'll be fine if you cannot make it back. And I said, if I can't make it back, there is a bigger problem than me not making it back. I said, um, like, I understand that if I can't make it back, that's on me. But you must understand that if I can't make it back, it's because of something that is bigger going on and all this unnecessary stress that I had. And obviously everybody else's pandemic is everybody else's. Other people have had much more worse times than I have. I completely understand that. But like just the additional, it's that, oh, we own you, you, you work for us. Everything you do is, is, is here, is centred towards this. Well, actually it's not. Like I might play for you, I might train with you, for you. But after that, like I'm me and I need to go out and do my things and look after myself. So how many people had to evacuate from the centre of, of Italy on a, on a moment's notice? Like I did. That's one of my sad little life stories now. I did that. But other things, like I had such a wonderful time playing in Australia and it was like the best time of my life living out there, playing. I met some like really great friends and I travelled and I was just a very happy person. And so... I'd happily spend a few more months in Spain and Italy feeling a bit, maybe a bit more, maybe a little bit more lonely or a bit more restrained. I don't know if that's the right word, but to go out and do that again. So I think maybe there's quite a, a good balance between. What made Australia so amazing? Mm, I'm just going to say, I think I do have seasonal affective disorder and mm. definitely the weather. <laughs> Definitely the weather. <laughs> I also lived on the beach, so that was nice. Oh well, <laughs> a great setup, so I could just get down to the get down to the gym, have a workout, come home, go and get a coffee, sit on the beach, read, go for a walk, do everything in my own leisure, and then have practice. And it was just a really good bunch of people. So, but then also on top of that, everybody spoke English, so I didn't have to constantly constantly be trying to figure out what people had said or I could understand what everything that's going on and it's bad really I think it's really bad of me that I didn't learn to speak Spanish or Italian I can understand parts of what's going on of what is going on but I I feel like I should have learned a full language Mm. but then it's also quite difficult when you're trying to manage everything else yeah it is amount of effort in I fully admit that my German should be fluent. I was there long enough and it's not. Yeah. But I was trying to do that on top of mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah. And it makes it, you know, that, that adds to that emotional load. When It's one thing when you move somewhere, but then if you add move somewhere where the language is not the same, you don't speak that language. Mm-hmm. That just, okay, let's add another layer of yeah. stress to the life cake. Yeah, and you think maybe going to the store, that should be an easy an easy thing for you to go and do. But if the cashier says something that isn't in the usual sentences of what they say, I'd be like, I'm really sorry. You must think I'm very stupid, but I don't know what's being said. Yeah, then, I totally relate to that. Totally relate to that. And I think a lot, I think a lot of athletes who, because I was having a conversation um, that will come out in with NBA. So mm-hmm. Matthew Bryan Manning, who plays for Team GB, he and plays for the London Lions. He, he's, we were talking about how players move every year to different, to different countries, to different teams sometimes. And and every time you move, that's gotta be a lot to 
you know, a few Spain and then I did Spain, Australia. No, I was in Australia, then Spain and then Italy. And then Italy. So, you know, to go to countries that, you know, back to back where it'd be different if you'd gone to Spain three years in a row, just three yeah. different teams. Yeah, because you'd have the same bank account. You'd, same, yeah. You'd know, you'd see people that you recognize more often. Yep. Um, you would understand exactly what you're ordering when you order coffee in certain areas because things will change or you know you know which supermarkets are going to have what you want yeah and you know what days market days are and things like that and I think that is quite an overlooked like part of it there's just lots of little things that don't necessarily add up or don't follow the same pattern when you change countries which rightly so they're different countries so you can't expect things to be the same but it it's quite difficult then when you have to go big, sorry, begin completely from scratch again. Yeah. They say it takes six months to get settled into a new country when you move there. Yeah. And if the season's only nine months long, yeah, I mean, that gives you three months, three months of before you have to, you know, fly back home, which gives you another three months of rest and relaxation before you have to do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, enough attention is paid to the emotional health of yourself as an athlete and to athletes in general? No, I don't think that teams, teams should be providing support for players as much as you have someone who is there to look after your physical well-being, You need to have someone there that is maybe not a full-time member of staff. Maybe we're not there yet, but maybe you need to have someone who is going to check in with players religiously and check in and make sure they're okay and just try to feel out any like underlying problems and anything that really could be affecting them because it it really only takes you for you to have one one bad game for someone to be like are you okay what's going on and you're like well I just had a bad game so you could have asked me this before and I might have given you a different answer but now you're only coming to check on me because of this one thing that's happened I think with like national teams and things as well, the federations can do a better job of reaching out to their players that they have all across the world because they do, because they have a, if they want you to come back and play for them, they should be reaching out and making sure that, you know, you're, you're okay. Uh, because they, we only play for the federation for such a short amount of time out of the year, but really it should be the pinnacle of your playing career. So there needs to be some sort, some duty of care from them. Mm-hmm. Um, in looking out for their players. And how do you think that would change your life and the sport in general? Let's start with how would that, how would that change for you? Um, I think it would have helped me be a bit more resilient uh, because I didn't go pro for quite a while. I think if somebody had been looking out for me earlier, they might have been like, oh, you know, you could go and do this and we'll be here to support you. Um, I think that might have helped me. But especially being away, it, it's just an additional person that's looking out for you because I know I'll if I call my mum she's like oh you don't sound very happy I'm like well I know this is happening but like I would always go to her anyway but then so I wouldn't call her and be like oh this really good thing happened whereas I think if we had people reaching out to check in on you you can discuss everything from your, your sporting career with them which if it's from the federation they will be more in tune to know how you how that would affect you whereas if I ring my mum my mum is not going to know that you know, I didn't have a good game or or it's because of this is how I'm playing. That's why I feel like this. Sport's not really her thing. She's more, it'd be more focused just on me. Mm. Whereas I think 
that additional sports knowledge and athlete awareness from federations would be a really big deal. And especially we have so many kids going off to the States now. Yeah, that terrifies me sometimes. Yeah, so we have so many going off. It is a young age. And so we need to have someone that is looking out for them and checking in with them because obviously universities should be having someone do that and they have so many staff anyway that it really would be poor for them not to do that. But they also will be majorly invested in the programme as opposed to in the kid because kids are so replaceable. Yeah. So if one person doesn't have a good time at this school, that's their problem. That's not the school's problem. Yeah. And I think that we as a community need to do a better job in looking after our own, even when they go elsewhere. I think that's really important for us. Yeah. And I agree with you, especially at such a, you know, at such a young age, like we're talking about players that sometimes they're going off to boarding school in the United States, you know, so they're leaving home. And again, yes, they're going to the United States, same language, you know, again, but it's still, it's still a culture shock to go to a foreign country at 14, 15, 16 years old. It doesn't matter, you know, whether, where you go to leave home and go somewhere not to ha- and not to have somebody who's watching out for you, mm-hmm. you know, regularly to make sure that you're not that you know make sure that you're doing okay. Yeah, it, not ex- it doesn't have to be unicorns and rainbows and spi- fireworks every day, but yeah. that, you know you're doing that you're hanging in there. You're dealing mm-hmm. with the stress. You're dealing with the increased you know pressure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's just. It's such an important part that we just aren't doing right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully in the future, this it will change and it will start to become more of the norm. Yeah. Because I don't think we'll, we're not going to progress as a sport unless we start focusing more on athlete-centred things. Yeah, agreed. Do you think the mental side had an impact on... The Commonwealth Games, how well you guys did at the Commonwealth Games? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, what happened there? So we have our coach is a psychologist, anyway, quite a well thought hmm. sports psychologist. Convenient. Um, yeah, <laughs> very convenient. And I think a lot of us have played. In fact, nearly all of us have played together at some point. Um, quite a few of us had grown up in the system and we'd all represented England and Great Britain together. And I think it's a unit that we had where I knew, I knew that I felt safe. So I, I didn't ever go into practice feeling like nervous or feeling out of my depth or I never really went in with any kind of negative feelings. And I think that's because of who I played with and who I played for. And I think that's the same for everyone really on that team. Everyone, it's very rare that, this is going to sound terrible an terrible indictment of women's sports but it's very rare that you play on a team where you like everyone on your team and there isn't someone that I'm sorry maybe you think is a or yeah I don't want it to be negative but it's very rare whereas on this team I loved everyone it was great I you know I was really happy playing with everyone practicing with everyone and I think Chema made it really possible for everyone to feel comfortable and because he's we kept quite a lot of the values and our systems the same as we have done with the other teams that he's coached. So it was very easy for everyone to just like slide right in together and go forwards. But yeah, I think that was really important for us mentally, just to know that everyone was valued and trusted and safe. I think that's 
you know, you don't want to say the word safe too much, but it is safe because everybody will try. You know, if you're with your friends and everyone wants to do something stupid and you're a bit umming and ahhing, but then everybody decides they're all going to do the same thing. And then you feel like, well, it doesn't matter if what I do is stupid because everybody's going to do it. Yeah. I think that's, that's how it works like with teams. And I think that's especially how it works with us. Everyone just felt very secure, but also like a big part of the group. Yeah. So I didn't, a roundabout way to explain that. No, it, and it may, it makes sense. I never want to underestimate the power of teammates feeling safe with each other mm-hmm. in terms of, so you know if you're having a bad day. Like yeah. I'm like, I'm just like, I just cannot sort myself out. Mm-hmm. You've got four other women on the court that are like, they're not going to be like, dang it, Hannah, come on, get your beep together. They're going to yeah. be like, don't worry, we got you. You know, yeah. we'll pick up the slack and you do the same when, you know, but if you don't have that feeling of safety mm-hmm. and that feeling of being one team, not, you know, just because you happen to be five women on the court, you're still one team. It doesn't yeah. matter. You have that feeling of, you know, that that's what's going to happen. It kind of takes away that. What if I have, you know, that anxiety of, oh my God, what if I have a bad game? Or what if I miss every single one of my shots? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't really have that with them. Yeah, which is really powerful. I don't want to pour salt in a wound, but what happened with qualifying for Tokyo? Um, I just don't think it was our tournament. I think we'd mm. ridden the wave for so long. And then that, that one game against Korea, we just it, it just didn't happen. And I think it, it was just difficult. It was just one, because we're quite a comeback team. We've played a lot of games where we've been down and out and then come yep. back and won. And I think this was just one of those too many. So it was, yeah, it still hurts. It's just, yeah. you know, I'm kind of glad I got put off because if I'm not going to the Olympics, then no one can go this year. Yeah, but, um, yeah it, it was tough. And I think our whole team like tried it wasn't for lack of trying or lack of wanting. It, it just wasn't our, our tournament. What did you guys learn about each other and about yourself? Just about how resilient everyone is, I think. And it, it was obviously such a shame that we had had so many times where we had. I think we had dropped down and everyone just, you know, felt like, oh, this is doable. This really is doable because we'd done it so many times before. And so you have that faith in everyone that they're going to be able to do their job and will come out on top. But um, I don't know, I sort of learned that I, I do have a lot of faith, faith in other people. So, yeah, sorry, it's quite difficult to explain. That's all right. Yeah, I think everyone handled it quite well, maybe. It's, yeah, it, I know everyone is still devastated. But from speaking to people since, everyone is still, you know, moving forwards. Everyone's still positive. Everyone's still really happy about, you know, it's impressive that we got there in the first place. So yeah. hopefully it's something we can recreate going forwards. Yeah. What are you guys hoping to create going forwards? Hopefully that we can get British basketball onto into some more world tournaments, into some more into some better positions because coming forth at Eurobasket, obviously that that's huge. Yep. That's really big for British basketball. So if we can, you know, qualify for the next one, which will be um a tough a tough feat, but it's doable. If we can qualify for the next one and then get a good placing as well, then that that's great for us. If we can just continuously build on what we've done and keep aiming to deliver results, then hopefully that means our junior generations will also be able to feed in and continue with that. So, yeah. 
any specific goals you've got going forward for yourself for basketball? I saw you sitting in the big chair for Birmingham in 2022. Do you have a, do you have an aim? (laughs) I would really like to, really like to. I've not set myself on whether or not I'm going to really go for it. I'm like, I love representing my country. I really do. I'm also getting to a part of my life now where I need to be thinking about what's next and what, what I can continuously do to make myself better and more employable or more career focused after basketball. Because right now we don't know when the league will start or if it will start or how it will start. I feel a bit like a bit cagey on whether or not I want to commit to something right now or how I want to commit. So for me, it's just waiting a little bit more until I know what's going to happen before I can decide anything for myself. Sounds like you want to wait and see what options open up. For sure. Yeah. it's just one of those things, I guess. I've just got to wait and see. Yeah. I hate not knowing things, but if the last six months has taught me anything, it's that not knowing is okay because because nobody knows. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that I think COVID taught quite a few of us is that not knowing is okay. It's not the, you know, this sounds melodramatic and in a pandemic, it's probably not words you should say, but it's not the end of the world if you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Because in general, things kind of, work themselves out maybe not the way you wanted to yeah but they in general work themselves out and definitely believe that you don't really have any control over it over things and not because of a higher power but just because life will just happen whether you're in it whether you're not in it whether you're active you feel like you're actively participating it just will and so what's going to happen is going to happen you really have no control over it yeah i always say it's um quote that I like quite a bit is like, I can't control the storm, but I can learn to, you know, I can't control the wave, but I can learn to surf. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I have no idea what's going to happen, but you know what? I'll just ride the wave, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it comes. For sure. Yeah. One last question. Mm -hmm. If you could give a piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Um, Don't take advice from a small number of people. Make sure you listen to a lot. Some people, really, you can pay them no mind. And I'm quite happily to say, that opinion doesn't mean anything. I don't need that. Smile and wave or whatever. But I think when you are making big decisions, you should listen to lots of people. And lots of people who have been there and done that. Not people who think they have or think that they have all the information. Go and speak to people who have actually been and done something. And do that. Yeah. Yeah. So sounds like, when you pull the audience, pull the pull this portion of the audience that has actually been there before. Yeah, there's a lot of support, and I think there's a lot of people across all sports, across all jobs, but especially in British basketball, there's a lot of people that want to give you opinions on things that they really haven't done, and I find that really frustrating. Good advice. Well, I want to say thank you very much for um, for taking the time to sit down and tell us about your story and speak to you know what's what's happened with you and what's going to what's going to happen going forward and everything else in between. I really appreciate the time. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to the Athlete EQ podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us. Please make sure you take time to download and rate this episode and share it with someone. If you like what you heard, don't hesitate to go back and listen to our previous episodes. 
please also subscribe for future episodes. And one last thing, we'd love to hear what you think. If you have some feedback for us, send us a message at aeqpodcast.feedback at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode.